0: you wash your hands today man I shook a lot of hands today and i'm just wondering you know because if you if you did indeed wash your hands today I, i'll tell you in part it's 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 uh, all uh, it is a result of a doctor in the 1800s Th- this doctor uh, uh, graduated from med school and was uh, uh, put in charge of uh, of uh, the part of the hospital um, that had two sections. It, uh, it was a uh, maternity clinic, and uh, the, 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 the maternity clinic had really two clinics within it. One part of the clinic had midwives, and the other part had doctors and med school students. And uh, the moment he took charge, he realized that there was a, a huge issue going on. The mortality rate for women giving birth in this hospital was enormous. I mean, it was ridiculously high. And it was his task to figure out why and how to stop it. And so he began his investigation right away. And, uh, you know, noticing the differences, uh, um, he he began to make some observations. And uh, one of the observations he made is the midwives had uh, a, a much less rate of mortality than the doctors. As a matter of fact, for the doctors and the med students, it was five times as high. So having noticed that, he began to observe how they did things different. And when the women were working with the midwives, they gave birth laying on their side. Any women who gave birth laying on their side? You know, um, uh, and then over here with the guys, they, they did it on the back. So the doc said, Well, right away, let's change that practice. But nothing changed. And so the observations continued. And while he was searching, women were dying. Well, then he noticed uh, something different in the practice. In the uh, clinic with the doctors, when a baby was born, there would be a priest that would walk through the hallway ringing his bell, and he theorized that perhaps the the bell in this weakened state caused a great stress, and somehow that led to death. So he got rid of the priest. Well, he got rid of the bell first, then the priest, because he didn't have anything to ring. But that didn't make any difference. Women were still dying. He actually left his post for a while on sabbatical just to search these things out, to step out of it, you know, and sometimes when you walk away, you get a sense of clarity, and then he figured it out. The med students, when they came into the clinic, they left doing autopsies. They would come from the, the, uh, uh, this, these autopsies to come and work with these women and delivering their children. And the doctor theorized that perhaps they had taken bits or pieces from these cadavers and somehow they had entered into these women and killed them. And so he installed a policy wash your hands. It seems unimaginable that doctors would work on anyone without washing their hands. When I see a doctor, I say, I don't know if it's me, but I say, Three different ways. Have you noticed that? It's, 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 uh, it seems odd. So it's not just me, it's you too. <laughs> and uh, the doctors, uh, oddly enough, they, they pushed against this. In part, it was because what they heard the doctor saying is, is that it was their fault that these women were dying. But ultimately, knowing really not much about uh, the germ, <laughs> thinking just little dead body parts stuck on their hands, everything was changed, and instantly the mortality rate plummeted, uh, just, just dropped. Sin is a lot like Germs. You know, sin is 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 not something you see until it's acted on, and not every action is public. But sin always brings death. A bit of a transition here. See, we've been studying the book of Romans, and in the first three chapters. Paul, like a, like a lawyer, lays out a, a, an accusation against everybody in the world. He breaks us up into groups. But when you come to the end of chapter 3, it is unarguable that we are all guilty before God. We are sinners and we stand guilty before a holy God. Well, fortunately, there's a chapter 4 in the book of Romans In this letter, in this chapter 4, Paul lays out for us how God can justify a sinner. How God can take someone worthy of death, eternal separation from him, and proclaim them righteous and just before a holy God. And the answer, God's grace sending Jesus to die and the response of nothing more than faith. When we come to chapter five, Paul, as he tends to do, does a little background for us. I mean, how did this all start? And, and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna notice here in chapter five that Paul's gonna lay out this argument for the universal sinfulness of man but that God's grace is greater than our sin. And he does this by going back to the very beginning. And he's going to reference Adam and lay out Adam just as this doctor said, what's the cause? We can't fix the problem if we don't know the cause. And he goes back to Adam. And all the way through, he compares him to Jesus. It's really a series of contrasts. So take a look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, where we're going to see once again that God's grace is greater than your sin. As great as your sin may be, and every one of us in this room instantly knows about that secret sin, that one that you hope nobody knows about, you would be absolutely humiliated if people really knew the secrets of your heart. And as awful is as that is, my friends, God's grace is greater. Take a look here at verse one. He says, "Therefore, little transition here. First uh, three chapters, you're all guilty. Chapter four, how you can be right with God. Now a transition. In light of all of this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How?" through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is going to do here in the first 11 verses is lay out the blessings of being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first one right off the bat here in verse 1, the first blessing of justification, in other words, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know he died on the cross for your sin, He died in your place. He took the penalty you deserve. They crucified him. They killed him. They put him in a tomb, and he rose from the dead, and you are trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sin. These are the blessings you have available to you today. And remember that word blessing is God's grace or his goodness bestowed upon you, something that God has given to you. The first is that you have peace with God. Before faith in Christ, we are at enmity with God. Think clenching your teeth and pushing against. The whole world is in rebellion against God. Enmity toward God. Enemies of God. Standing against him, turning their back on him, shaking their fist at God. And while you may have never literally done it in your heart, you have figuratively done it. But if you are justified by faith, you are made right by God, you are declared righteous by him simply by trusting in Christ, you have peace with God. Now there is also a thing called the peace of God. This is different. The peace of God is what God gives to his children in difficult places. You know, we are praying for the Oregon family. Terry's Father passed early, early this morning, and they are, they are mourning the loss. Death is a thief. It takes what is greatest to us, what matters most to us, and they are mourning this morning. But God is a God that even in, in great loss and in great sorrow, he gives peace. So we have peace with God. But I notice in verse 2, We not only have peace with God, it's not a peace that says, God stays over here and I stay over here and we don't mess with each other. It's not that kind of peace. It's a peace that gives us access to God. Notice verse 2. Through Him, that's Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand Grace is, is, is God empowering us, giving us ability, strength, endurance. It is a gift that provides the need that we need most. It, it provides the, the resources that we need in whatever way we are in need. And so we have access to God. Now think of this. You, you have followed Christ for many years, you know, and you, you take this for granted. But there was a day in your life, and by a day, I don't mean like on a Tuesday, I mean all of them, that you may have called out to God for anything, and his answer to you is, why should I answer you when you will not heed me, when you will not honor me, when you will not give thanks to me, when you will not recognize me? And it is as if God is nothing more than a vending machine. Look, I put in the right amount of change. Now give it. And it's dishonoring to God. There was a day when as high as your your prayers would go is to the ceiling. But by faith in Jesus Christ, suddenly the doors are flung wide open. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? One of the things that happened as he bowed his head, he gave the, the, the curtain in the temple that only the high priest once a year could, could pass through into the Holy of Holies. And even then they would tie a rope to his ankle lest he did something wrong and God killed him for his carelessness. And they could pull him out by the rope tied on his ankle. When Christ died for our sin, that that curtain that was added to perhaps feet thick was torn into access is now granted when we cry out from the depths of our heart or to the top of our voice god hears our prayer friends you know he knows about it before you thought about it but he hears like a loving father and he longs to hear from his children To know that they recognize their need of him and he cannot wait with great anticipation and great love he gives to us. That's access, my friends. That is access. Does that mean that, uh, you know, well, God, I'd really like that red Ferrari now. No, God does not give to us what we want. God gives to us what we need, which is always far greater than the wants. The wants, they never last, friends. But the gifts of God last forever. And so here we, we have this list of the blessings of justification. The first, it was peace with God. Verse 2 was access to God. But notice here at the end of verse 2. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, without Christ, you are without God and without hope in this world. Without Jesus, your future is destruction. And I don't mean, you know, like you die and disappear. I mean, destruction is eternal, friends. It's hell. And every one of us deserves it. This guy standing right here deserves to be burning in hell right now forever. That includes you. But God's gift of grace to send his son to die on my behalf, I don't deserve it. And either to you, and he simply asks that we trust. It is an enormous debt. The illustrations uh, uh, that, that Jesus used to describe it—you know, a guy who just owed millions, and he never could have, never could have paid it—and he was forgiven the debt. And that's what Christ does: forgives us our debt. And he gives us, he gives us hope that there's more. I watched a movie. I like uh, the three things I really I have four things I really like: Melanie, and uh, <laughs> and I like clamps, and I like magnets, and uh, and I like time travel movies. I don't know. It's weird, but this movie was it this guy, when he turned 21, found that he could travel in time, not like to go back and kill Hitler, but any time in his life he could go back and change something. You know, seemingly a great opportunity, you know? I mean, you know, he's 21, there's a girl, and he totally messes it up, and he goes back and he fixes it, says the right thing instead of the wrong thing. You know, we've all been there, you know? Or a friend did something ridiculously bad went back and fixed it, you know? And uh, toward the end of his movie, the father at age 21 that told him he could do this, you know I'm going to cry. His dad told him he was dying of cancer. And then he did. And as I watched this, Like, what is this movie about? Where's this going? And you know what the guy gets to do? The one thing you wish you could do. He gets to go back in time and hang out with his dad. Like, I want to do that. I want to hug my mom. I want to talk to my dad about more stuff, about life, about all these things. And one day I will. One day I will see. Jesus, face to face, the one who loves me beyond my comprehension. The one whose love is, is greater, is wider, is deeper than anything I could have ever imagined. I will see my mom. I will see my dad. I'll get to talk to that blind man in John chapter 9. I mean, I've got all kinds of hope. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens here. And that was the lesson of the movie, oddly enough. You know, dad said, just go back every day and relive it, except enjoy it that time. And the guy did that. You know, and he, and he didn't change anything. He just got to enjoy it until finally he just stopped going back and learned that there is way more to this life that you can enjoy and you could live to the full because there is more. That's hope. Hope, this word in the Greek is elpis. And and it it is an expected thing, like the hope of a sunrise. I mean, have we ever lived a day when the sun has not risen? It may have hidden behind clouds, but there it is. And I know the sun isn't rising, the earth is rotating and all that, but you know what I'm saying? There was a faithfulness to it, like God's promises. One day without a shadow of a doubt... I will see Jesus because his promises are sure. I will get to hug my mom again and I will meet people that I will be astounded with. And there's gonna be people there that I never expected and maybe there'll be, there won't be people there that I thought would be there. So don't leave here without making sure. And so we, we have this, this blessing of being made righteous by faith in Jesus, this justification it gives us peace with God and access to God, and it gives us hope of the glory of God. and And then, and then here's verse three. You're like, man, we got to go faster. We're in verse three already. Come on! It says we have purpose. I mean, because of faith, you know what? Without Christ, you could do anything, and it doesn't matter because you're going to end up in hell. But with Christ, there is purpose. I mean, not only that, Paul says, he's going through this list, and if hope isn't enough, and hope is what everybody's looking for, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, even the bad days matter. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing this, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, full circle. Everything counts. We have purpose. Everything matters because there is an appointed end that we will reach. The blessings of justification, of being saved by faith in Jesus Christ God's grace, his gift of his son, a sacrifice, a perfect substitute, trusting in him and the doors open wide. <laughs> Do you ever see that, uh, that movie uh, National Treasure? Do you ever see that and Nick Cage is in it? It's really a delightful film if you haven't seen it. They're chasing treasure, you know, and everybody says it doesn't exist, but he keeps following the clues, you know, when they get to the, the final place and there's nothing there, you're like, ah. Oh. I mean, it was a cool journey and all, you know. They, they stole the Constitution. They went to, you know, I mean, it was a crazy movie. And then, but wait. And he opens this door with a, one of the clues, and there is treasure beyond imagination. That is faith in Christ. When those doors open and they lit the torches and the whole room let up, that's what it's like to trust in Christ. And you know what the real sad part is? Is that Christians, maybe even here in this room, have it, but you never open the door to use it. You have access to God, but you're too busy to pray. You know, you know the age-old question, you know, if you could have lunch with anybody in all of history, who would you have? it? You can talk to God every day. I mean, every day, like right now, you listen to this, you're like, man, I've been missing it. Don't miss it anymore. I mean, God cares about you. He wants to hear from you. He's recorded his word, and you got it all leather-bound, and a neat little paper and everything, and... And he's like, listen to all I have to tell you. But it sits in the back of your car all week so you don't forget it next Sunday, you know? (sighs) Anybody? (laughs) (laughs) And so we have purpose. And then to top it all off, I mean, this is the cherry on top of the shake. You know, all the whipped cream is nice, but there it is. Here it is in verse 5. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, we experience God's love. I mean, it's love that's delivered by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not UPS that it comes all damaged and mangled sometimes, you know. Look at here, verse 5. And hope, it does not put us to shame. You know, hope that isn't real hope, you know, you hope you get the bike, you hope you get the car, you hope you get the whatever it is and it doesn't pan out. This is hope you can count on. See, hope does not put us to shame. Nobody looks at us and says, ah, you were hoping for that and it never came out. This is a sure thing. And why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, it is in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ that we even begin to understand what love is. And when we grow up, we love football, we love lima beans, we love pepperoni pizza, we love all of these things. And we think, this is nothing but I just enjoy it. And then we try and do the same thing to people. Hey, you look good and make me feel good. And you laugh at my jokes when I want to keep you around for the rest of my life so you can make me feel good. And we wonder why marriages don't last. When you hook up onto somebody just for them to entertain you the rest of your life, friends, that is nothing but selfish. But when you learn to let go, and to give up the good stuff or the better stuff of investing in someone's life, you're like, man, that's better than any roller coaster, I'll tell you. It, it just never ends. And it's good. And sometimes it'll break your heart. And you know when all those memories will come running down your cheek and you, you know, yeah. But I'll tell you what, when the love of God is poured out in your heart, I mean, isn't that what everybody's looking for? I mean, think about it. From the time you hit grade school and you looked around and wondered if anybody cared about you, if you mattered to anyone, if you fit into anybody's group or if anybody ever called you their best friend, we're looking for love and it's poured out. And like not neatly in little cups, like really big buckets splashed all over us. That's the picture here. It's poured out over our hearts. By the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And it's love that is demonstrated by the Son of God. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And even when Paul writes this, he's like, you're not gonna believe that. You think I maybe wrote it wrong or put the words in the wrong order like God would die for the ungodly. But look at this. For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person Though perhaps for a good person, one person would maybe even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. When you are a really bad person, you know, and, and just like uh, Jesus talked about the Pharisees, you know, whitewashed sepulchres full of dead men's bones. You know, like bad stuff you don't want anybody to know about. You know what I'm talking about, Right? mean that stuff you don't want anybody to know about you you know you know the kind of person you are and yet God loves you and love is a sacrificial commitment for someone else and he, he gave his life so that you could have life that's some serious serious kind of love right there friends And Christ laid it out there on the cross for everyone to see. No one can ever question whether or not God is a God of love because of Calvary. And it's the love that's delivered by the Holy Spirit. It's the love that is demonstrated by the Son of God. And it's a love that reconciles us to the Father. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood. And the word blood here. represents his death. It wasn't a blood donation that saves us. It was his death, his sacrificial, substitutional death in our behalf. We have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. There that word showed up three times in verses nine through 11. We have been reconciled to God, a love that reconciles us, a love that brings us back. You you know the story of the uh, prodigal son, you know, it's, it's, it's very well known. You know, you remember how it starts? I mean, this, this uh, son, he walks into his dad. He's like, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. I mean, that's this not the exact words, but it's the same meaning. He's like, give me my inheritance. I mean, give it to me now. I just want your stuff. And so his father says, is that really what you think you want? Go ahead and take it. And he blows it all. And he ends up, he's living with pigs, eating, eating leftover pig food. And this is even despicable to me to think about it. Do you know why he went back to his father? It's because his father was good. I mean, so good that his servants had so much more than what he had available. And he he, he made up his mind that he would go back. and, And he prayed this prayer. You know what the prayer was? Make me. He started out praying to his father, Father, give me. But when he came to himself, the scripture says, I will go back to him and I'll say, Father, make me as one of your servants. But you know what great love this father has? I mean, come on, if you're a parent here, you either have heard it or you will hear it, or you will see it in their eyes when they look at you and say, I hate you. And maybe it's not words off the tongue, but it's in their eyes and it's in their heart. And it's nothing but you loving them, saying, no, this is the way to life, and they try and run to death. But you love them so much that you won't say go. And in the, in the Middle East, it is a shame for an old man to run. But when he saw this despicable son who said, I wish you were dead, I wish I had your stuff. When he saw him from a distance, he went running. I don't care what anyone else thinks, I love that boy. That is the kind of love that God has for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I love you. That's the kind of love that God has for those who put their faith in Jesus, justified by faith. Hmm. A love that reconciles. And then he lays out the basis for justification here in 12 to 21. You know, we'll go through here kind of quickly here. It's, it's really easy to follow. You know, we have the blessings of justification, then Paul just reminds us of the basis of justification. Here in verse 12, we learn of Adam's impact in the world. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And so what is Adam's impact on the world? Sin came into the world through his one action. He introduced sin into the world. What else did he do? Well, he introduced death into the world. With sin comes death and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin cannot be counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The type means like a shadow. There's some similarities between him and the one to come, which is Jesus. Similarities yet contrasts. So Adam's impact on the world was twofold. He introduced sin into the world. God says, don't eat of that, but he did he rebelled against God. Oh. And he also introduced death because with sin comes death. The wages of sin is death. And he introduced sin. So Adam's impact on the world is now in, uh, his impact is now contrasted with Jesus' impact. Look at verse 15. I mean the result of Adam's sin was death. But what was the result of Jesus' death? But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. You see, Adam's sin resulted in death, but Jesus' death resulted in life. When Adam took action, it brought death into the world through sin but when Jesus died, it brought life. So the result of Jesus' death is life. Look at verse 16. The result of Adam's sin is judgment. And the free gift, verse 16, is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The result of Adam's sin was judgment, but the result of Jesus' death is justification for those who trust in Jesus. Hmm. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation from all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. And then we have a third contrast. Adam's sin caused many to be sinners. When you are born into this world, you were born in a sinner. Everyone that comes into this world is born with a sin nature. And the nature is a desire to live out in a certain way, and ultimately, it's, it looks a lot like selfishness. And we know that in every baby. Ah uh, yeah, they're adorable. It's the most beautiful baby ever, but it's a sinner. And that baby will scream and it will cry until it gets exactly what it wants. It has no concept of, yeah, but, you know, mommy's been tired lately. I should probably let her sleep in. There's no baby with that thought running through its mind. The only thought is me. (laughs) And it's the role of a parent to help them move beyond that and to consider the people around them and live in such a way that it is a positive impact in the lives of other people. And so Adam's sin, it caused many to be sinners, really all. But what about Jesus now? <clears throat> For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Many, all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You're trusting in his death on behalf of your sin and your place. That is the basis of forgiveness. It's not your performance. It's not, there's no scale, you know, saying, well, you know, we did okay, let's let him in. There's only one issue, my friends. Are you trusting in Christ, in Christ alone? Are you trusting in Jesus, in Jesus alone? And then Paul wraps it up here in verse uh, 20, 21. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, it does not matter what you've done. No, when I say it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean it was okay. There is no sin so great that God's grace cannot cover it. That's why they sing amazing grace, not pretty good grace, pretty okay grace. It is amazing grace. And amazement means when you stand back and say, how? The grace of God and the blood of Christ and his sacrifice can bring forgiveness to anyone who will own it and ask God to forgive it. Trust in him. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's wrap it up here. Sermon in a sentence. What did that guy talk about today? This is what he talked about, that the grace of God overcomes the sinfulness of man to make sinners righteous and give them eternal life. Go ahead and memorize that while I get down here, okay? Okay. The grace of God overcomes the sinfulness of man to make sinners righteous. It is the process of justification whereby we respond to the gift of God, the gift of grace, the gift of his son Jesus as a sacrifice and we trust in him and God proclaims us righteous. It's an accounting where God fills our account with the righteousness of Christ and we have proper standing with God. The blessings of justification and the basis of justification. In light of what you've heard here today, the only reasonable response in light of this truth, what you know is true, is to respond in faith to the grace of God. As in the depths of your heart even now, you cry out for forgiveness You believe this is true and you want to act on it. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe it was your great love that sent him. So God, please forgive me for my sin. Give me a new life. Give me a relationship with you. Help me to live the life I was intended to live. And he will because God is a promise keeper the original of all. When he says it, he will do it. Trust in him.